By the way, um, if you want to use your phones during the service to like take notes, or I see people sometimes they take a picture of the screen because they want to remember like what was what was said or what was up there. Uh, if you want to tweet parts of uh, you know scriptures to your friends, like feel free to do that. You know, there's, it's, it's okay. Um, we don't encourage you to play, play uh, you know uh, games or something like that on your phone, but it's, it's ter- totally okay to use your phone to help you engage in what we're doing. Um, Let's read this simple uh, prayer in order to invite God to speak to us this morning. O Lord, our God, you've chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor, to bear good news Build bridges, bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're starting a new series today called With. I'll explain what that means in a minute. Uh, But first, I want to welcome uh, anyone who joined us in the last few weeks. Uh, especially on Easter Sunday. As I was saying earlier, we had a record attendance at our two campuses uh, last week. We had 474 people uh, across Roland Heights and Monterey Park. Our previous record was 395, and that was set last Easter. That's usually a time when a lot of people come out. Uh, It was standing room only in both of our English services. We had 40 people in each of our two Mandarin services. Let me tell you why that's awesome. Um, our Mandarins, it's very hard to do Mandarin ministry because people are very transient uh, and sometimes they only stay for a little bit. But for a season, both of our Mandarin congregations had dwindled to the point where they only had like three to five people in each service and just kind of barely hanging on. Uh, we got some, God sent us some fresh leaders and just within the past six months, um, those, those congregations had begun to grow and become strong uh, and more people. So we had 40 people at both of those services um, uh, on each campus. So it's amazing just to see what God has done. And thank you for your prayers for our Mandarin ministry. Did you know that out of all of the regions, uh, neighborhoods in the LA, in LA County, um, when you take, take, rank them by the highest proportion of the number of Chinese people uh, living in those areas, Asians living in those areas, um, Monterey Park is number two. And Roland Heights, where other campuses, is number five. Out of the United States, we're like definitely like in the top ten. Those so so uh, working with the Chinese community and helping them to know Christ—that's a very very important part of our identity as a church. And we're one of the only uh, Nazarene churches uh, that is is able to do that. So we're we're really proud of that. Really happy to, about that. Uh, we had six people baptized that day, including Jennifer over here. Congrats again. Um, we. Uh, <coughs> We had two children who were dedicated to the Lord. We had seven new people join our church membership. And I heard in our Mandarin service, we had four people receive Christ uh, that, that Sunday. So it was awesome. Uh, it's an amazing day. Thank you for everything that you do to support uh, our mission. Uh, our last series was called First Love. It was all about coming back to Jesus, the center of our faith. And we, you know, we love being here on Sundays Uh, coming together as a family and hearing from the Word of God and singing together and eating together and playing together. And we love doing good. We love making a difference. But the whole reason that we are here is because we love Jesus. And we are captivated. We are inspired by this man. And we have received the gift of eternal life 
through Christ. And, and sometimes we forget just how amazing Jesus is. So we spent uh, a month or so just kind of spending quality time uh, with Christ. And so if you missed that, you can go on our website. You can listen uh, online. And our new series is called With. Uh, and it's inspired by the writings of Sky Jathani, one of my uh, favorite authors and uh, pastors. And every so often, uh, I come along, I, I, I come across a book that um, just, I think, man, every single person I know needs to read this book. And this was one of those things. And, and once in a while, uh, that kind of shapes um, some of the messages. And it's kind of like me having a conversation with a few other pastors, uh, and they're not with me, you know, in person. But I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That, that's so helpful. Um, and so I don't mind taking some of those insights and sharing them with you. That's part of my spiritual journey. Um, and, uh, and so in this series, we're going to take a journey where we want to reimagine the way that we relate to God. Okay? We want to reimagine the way that we, that we relate to God. Now, many of you have been Christian for a long time, um, but some of you may consider yourself spiritual, but not, uh, you don't subscribe to any particular religion. And I want to tell you, first of all, if that's you, if you're spiritual and you don't, belong, you don't subscribe to a particular religion, I want you to tell you that that's okay because Christians are not supposed to subscribe to a particular religion either. Did you know that? That sounds really strange, right? But bear with me. Christians are not supposed to be religious either um, because at the heart of, our, of the Christian faith is this core belief, and I want you to understand this, Jesus did not come to establish a new religion. Jesus did not come to establish a new religion. Jesus came to tear down religion as the means to get to God and to replace religion with himself, with a relationship. The way to God is not through a religion, it's through a relationship. This is our deepest held belief as Christians. It shapes everything about us. And so the questions for us are, number one, what, is it, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? For some of you, that, that's a new concept. Um, and for you, those of you who have a relationship with God, the question is, what if the way that you are relating to God is not at all what God desires? Right? The kind of relationship you have with God is not what the kind of relationship God wants with you. And so... What is the difference between religion and relationship? So first, let's talk about the nature of religion. It's common to say that all religions lead to God, right? All religions lead to the same essential place. And maybe you've never really known what to say to that. If somebody says that all religions, say to, all religions lead to the same place, right? And you're like, uh, you don't really know how to respond. So what do we say uh, what's another way to think about this? And I want you to hear from Sky Jathani in a short little video, just a four-minute video, uh, where he kind of explains this idea. All right, so let's, uh, let's turn the lights out, and let's listen. The Hindu scriptures, the Bhagavad Gita, teaches that all paths lead to God. This Eastern understanding of religion has come to influence much of Western culture as well over the last century. As our culture has become more diverse, welcoming immigrants from other religious traditions, 
it's become popular to affirm all paths as equal. This view of religion is often depicted as a mountain. God is believed to be the summit of the mountain, and various religions begin from different spots around the base. This explains why religions appear to be so different. They start in different places, in different cultures, and with different ideas. But ultimately, it should not concern us, because each religious path, as it ascends this mountain, draws closer and closer to the others, until eventually they all converge at the top. All paths lead to God. This view often includes platitudes about how all religions call us to love our neighbors and do good toward others, and that may well be true. But what this view fails to grasp is how each religion has its own history of formation, its own values, its own cultural background. And even more importantly, this view fails to recognize how all these human religions actually emerge from a common human experience. Let me explain. There's another way of understanding the connection between different religions but it requires turning the mountain upside down. This view says that rather than starting from completely different places, all religions actually emerge from a common human experience. What is it? Let's look more closely. At some point, we all discover that we live in a dangerous world. We share a world confused by chaos. We can't predict what will befall us. We share a world marred by ugliness. Injustice and evil appear to triumph. And we share a world plagued by scarcity. We must strive to acquire what we need to survive, with the greatest scarcity being life itself. We all live under the shadow of death. As a result of this, we are all afraid. In order to mitigate our fears, in order to diminish the danger we feel in the world, we strive for control over the world around us. The logic is simple. If I can just gain enough control over the forces around me through science, through politics, through war, through economics, through education, and yes, through religion, then I won't be afraid. I'll be in control of my destiny. But there's a catch. In order for me or my community to gain enough control over the world to feel safe, it usually means having to take control away from someone else. And so rather than delivering us from danger and fear, striving for control only makes the world a more dangerous place. This cycle of danger, fear, and control is the common human experience from which all religion emerges. All human religions are systems of control through which we seek to overcome our fears. Will the harvest be enough this year? Will the disease spread? Will God bless me? Will I live or will I die? Will the Cubs make the playoffs? Religions give us a sense of control over otherwise uncontrollable forces. But how they do this, the paths they take, can differ significantly. And when followed, they can end in very different places. So rather than seeing all religions as leading to the same place, a more accurate picture would depict them as all emerging from the same place, a desire for control to mitigate our fears in a dangerous world. Now why is this important? Well, it's important because not all religious paths deliver on this promise. Not all of them provide us a sense of safety or deliver us from the fear we experience in the world. In fact, critics of religion, and history would back this up, tell us that religions are often the problem. They lead to more control and more abuse and more fear in the world. A further study of each of these pathways up the mountain, in whatever form they take, whether it's life under God, over God, from God, or for God, will reveal that none of them actually deliver us from fear. None of them have the capacity to break the cycle of danger, fear, and control that have plagued humanity throughout history and which fuels most of our religious traditions. Only a life lived with God, a path which is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, can break this cycle and deliver us from our fears.
So, you, this might be a new way of thinking for you. This idea that rather than all religions kind of starting from different points and leading to the same place, you flip the mountain around and in fact all religions start from the same place but then begin to diverge in how they think about how to solve the issues of, of human existence. And so Sky Jathani proposes this, that all religions emerge from the same starting point, which is the desire for control in order to mitigate our fears in a dangerous world. All of us, at some point in our life, try to, try to manage our lives, try to find some way to control. Some of us do it through education. Go to the very best school that you can because then you can somehow control your career, your outcome, right? Or, or get as much money as you can or marry the right person or live in the right neighborhood. Get, get that promotion. Advance your career. We're all trying to gather more and more control so that we have less anxiety. And religion can be, is, another one of those things. We use religion in order to make ourselves feel more in control. How does that work? How does that work? So it's not quite accurate to say that all religions lead to the same place. It's more accurate to say that they all emerge from the same place, this desire for control to mitigate our fears in a dangerous world. So religion is all the ways that we essentially try to manipulate God or use God for our own ends. And religion tends to express itself. You can look at all the different world religions or even within the same religion and look at how people uh, interact with, the, with, with God, uh, their, how they understand their faith. And you can kind of put it in one of these four categories. Okay? All religion tends to fall in one of these four categories. All of us tend to relate to God in one of these four categories. <coughs> these are ways, uh, these are postures, if you will, uh, ways that we attempt to use God. The first one is, is life under God, right? Relating to, to God is it like I'm under God. Uh, another way to relate to God is where we are over God, right? Life over God. Another way to relate to God is where we try to think about what we can receive from God. And then the last posture is living life for God. And we're going to explain how all four, none of those are actually the way that God wants us to relate to him. Now, God warns us not to worship idols, Okay, we know that, but we don't necessarily know why. What is an idol? What does it mean to worship? To worship something means to take something and make it the center of our lives. You, we worship that thing or, 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 or that, that, that aspect of our lives. But we are made to worship God. God is supposed to be at the center of our lives. Now, an idol is not necessarily something that is obviously bad or evil. In fact, most of the idols in our lives are pleasant things. They're, they're things that are beneficial to us. Uh, they're good things, right, that have been made into our ultimate thing. That's when it becomes an idol. For example, food, right? Food is a good thing. Food is a necessary thing. But when food becomes all that we think about in the center of our lives, it becomes an idol for us. Uh, when we use it for our, our comfort, when, we, when uh, you know, we're sad and we're like, oh, I need that tub of ice cream. Ice cream, comfort me, right? Because like my idol, right? Um, Money can become an idol for us. That's where we find our security, our possessions, our jobs. We're like, okay, if I can just get in the right career track, right? I'm going to be okay. It becomes our idol, uh, our hobbies. Our families can become an idol for us, the center of our existence. Entertainment. Now, none of these things are bad. They are, they are good. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, 
And we begin to pursue that thing above all else over God. Now it has become an idol, and idols eventually will suck the life out of us. And so these four postures, over, under, from, and for, all point to the idea, you'll see how this happens, that something other than God has become the center of our lives, and we have made a good thing into our ultimate thing, and we have begun to derive our sense of identity and security from that thing, and the vast majority of us have no idea that we're doing it. I think as, we, as I explain this to you, a lot of you realize, oh my gosh, that's me. I had no idea. This is why I feel so empty, right? Because I'm not relating to God the way that God created me to. Um, and so as we explore these four postures, I want you to listen. I want you to reflect. Does this describe me as an idol uh, have I allowed an idol into my life, a good thing that has become an ultimate thing? So let's talk about these four postures. The first one is life under God, under God. People who relate to God this way, I live under God, see God first and foremost as an authority figure to be obeyed. And therefore, the way to mitigate my fear in a dangerous world is to live according to God's commands. I need to pray this way. I need to worship this way. I need to act this way. If I do, God will bless me. I will be safe. I will prosper. It's a relationship with God that is based on my performance. If I attend church regularly, if I give financially, if I keep myself pure, if I study my Bible every day, God will bless me. And so the center of the universe, for someone like this, the center of their universe is not God. It's God's law. It's God's commands. And so people who live like this, they'll sound kind of like this. You know, we need to abide by God's laws. We need to do things His way or He is going to send judgment on us and we will only have ourselves to blame. Somebody who relates to God this way might say, you know, if we just put prayer back in the schools, if we can just stop these liberal judges, God will bless our country again, right? They're living under God's command. That's how they relate to God. Or somebody might say, I, I don't understand, you know, we raised our son as a Christian, and we took him to church. We put him in the youth group. We did all the things we we're supposed to do. Why is he acting out like this? We've always honored God. We've done what is right. Why is God punishing us? Right? What happens when we do all that we think we're supposed to do and life doesn't go as planned? We, we begin to get resentful. We, our faith crumbles. We think, I, I kept my end of the bargain, Right? Why is God not keeping his end of the bargain? I was a good boy. I did what I was told. Forget it. This whole God thing, it's not working. Now, obeying God's commands is a good thing, right? Jesus says this is how we express our love for God. God's commands are given for our good. God is for us, right? He, he, he wants us to thrive. But when obedience becomes the center of our lives and we worship God's commands instead of God himself, and especially when we believe we will somehow be especially favored because of it, we've taken a good thing and we've made it the ultimate thing and we can easily slip into this idea where we begin to use God, Right? I will, I will follow these commands, and if I do that, I will become more secure. And we are using God for our own ends. God ceases to become an end in and of himself. Life under God. People tend to be quite legalistic, people who kind of live under that paradigm. The other second posture is life over God. 
And the, the way uh, to, in this posture, to mitigate my fears in a dangerous world is to seek God's wisdom and God's principles for living and to extract knowledge from God, right? And so I stand over Scripture, right? I am, I'm above God. The Bible becomes my reference book, right? Uh, somebody once uh, came up with this cute um, uh, acronym for the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, Basic instructions before leaving earth, right? And they say, well, that's what the Bible is. It's my, it's my owner's manual, right? And, and, and so you hear books, or you, you hear of books and sermons entitled, Five Ways to Live a Peaceful Life. Okay, five ways to live a peaceful life. Or, or the leadership style of Jesus. Or the make, there's one called the maker's diet, right? It's like, it's like a diet program based on what people might have eaten in biblical times, right? You just eat, eat what God tells you to eat. Do you see what happens here, right? I'm in the driver's seat. I don't really think about God that much. You know, it's, it's maybe like a pastor who's trying to figure out the latest principle from the corporate world and just apply it to the church. And there are some Christians, they don't really give much thought to God during the week. God is just somebody they go to and they need advice, like a consultant that works for you, right? And I'm over God. This is what it sounds like. Somebody says, you know, I just... I don't really care for all this kind of spiritual mumbo-jumbo you talk about in church. Like, man, give me something practical. Give me something I can use, right? How do I fix my marriage? How do I handle my finances? Bible say anything about that, right? Give me something I can use. Or they might say, you know, churches would just grow if they just marketed themselves better. They have a marketing problem. They should learn from the business world. What are you doing sitting around praying for? What's that going to accomplish, right? And so for people who live over God, the center of their universe is science and principles and logic and ideas, things that they can control, right? And they don't really have much of an interest in God for God's sake. They just want to use God for whatever wisdom they can glean, right? Life over God. Life from God. This one's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but there was a study done of the religious life of teenagers, and they realized through their study that the teenagers tend to see God in one of two ways. One is as a divine butler, right? Kind of just does what you need and takes care of what you, what, you, what you need, right? Or they see God as a cosmic therapist. Come to God with my problems. Talk, you know, come and heal my inner life, right? And so God only exists to really help them through their problems and achieve what they desire. Now, why do they think that way? Well, the study revealed because their parents think that way. That's how their parents relate to God. And we call this moral therapeutic deism. That's kind of the fancy term that they've coined. It's moral therapeutic deism. Deism meaning, uh, you know, God. God is kind of like this divine vending machine. And they're not really, again, they're not interested in God for himself, only what he can do for them. This is what it sounds like. Somebody who lives this way. Every morning I wake up and I ask God to expand my territory. And he has. I have a great family, a great job, good health. My kids are smart and talented. I have a beautiful home. God has really blessed me. Right? Or they, uh, Joyce Meyer, who's a TV preacher, once uh, preached this. She said, who would want to get in on something where you're miserable and poor and broke and ugly? You just have to muddle through until you get to heaven. I believe God wants us to have nice things. 
And at the center of the universe, for somebody who, who relates to God this way, what they can get from God, at the center of the universe is not a bunch of principles, it's not God's commands, it's not logic or science. At the center of the universe is me, myself. And most of our prayers tend to be about asking God to bless us and get me that promotion or provide for you financially and heal us and get our kid into that good college and so on. So if most of your prayer life is asking God for stuff, you may be living under this uh, paradigm. Now, there's nothing wrong. This Here's the thing. Nothing wrong with asking God to provide for our needs. In fact, we're encouraged to do so. Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread, to ask Him for what we need. God is a good Father who gives good gifts to his children. But again, when that good thing becomes our ultimate thing, we're in trouble. Right? And the last one is living life for God. And the way in this posture to mitigate my fears in a dangerous world is to seek God for purpose and for significance and meaning. Because we're afraid of wasting our lives of living a life of insignificance. And this is what it sounds like for somebody who's living life for God. I want my life to matter. I really want to do something great for God. Or they might say, you know, Christians are too lazy. They need to share their faith with their neighbors. One day they're going to stand before God. They better have something to show for their lives. And at the center of this universe is not uh, God's commands, it's not science, it's not, uh, it's not me. At the center of my universe is mission. Right? Everything is seen through that lens. Every individual, you're either on the mission or you're the object of the mission or you're an obstacle to the mission or you're an aid to the mission or you're a lazy Christian who should be on that mission. Right? Now, do we have a mission? Yes, of course. Are we supposed to devote time and money and talents towards this mission? Yes, yes, yes. But remember, <coughs> an idol is a good thing that has become an ultimate thing. Now, why is this posture so dangerous and so seductive? Because it's so good. Right? What's wrong with living for God? I mean, don't you seem like a wonderful person if you say, oh, I just live for God. Everybody's like, oh, I wish I was like you. Right? <laughs> Oh, man, I wish you... So we get this affirmation. But what we're really addressing is our need for significance and our need for purpose and our need for meaning. That's what makes me valuable is the impact I can make for God. That's where I find my worth, not in God, but in my ability to carry out his mission. Right? And this, this is what it sounded like for one pastor. A pastor in his late 30s said, you know, the church is growing there's excitement everywhere. But personally, I just feel less and less good about what I'm doing. I'm restless and I'm tired and I ask myself how long I can keep all this up. Why is my, my time, my touch with God so limited? Why am I feeling so guilty about where my marriage is? When did this stop being fun? And there's no life in them. Reason that this one resonates with me so much is because that's where I live a lot of the time. Right? And, and I will share more about that struggle and that journey uh, later in the series. So, religion is God, is, sorry, humanity's attempt to use God to achieve some other goal, and God is just a means to that end. 
So if you're living life you know, uh, under God, then you're manipulating God through obedience to secure blessings and avoid calamity. If you're living life over God, then you use God as the source of principles or laws. If you're living life from God, then you're using God to supply your desires. And if you're living life for God, then you, you're still using God to, to uh, give you a sense of direction and significance and purpose. So what kind of relationship did God create us for? How does he want us to relate to him? The idea is to experience life with God. With God. Um, In the beginning, we read in John chapter 1, these amazing, incredible words. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is referring to Jesus, God the Son. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with. And the word was God. And then it repeats it again. And he was with God. Repeats it twice. With God. In the beginning. In other words, John is telling us something at the very, very core, the central heart of who God is. That God is in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son was with God. The word was with God. But the word was God, it's this incredible picture of unity and yet community at the same time. Kevin DeYoung says, God did not create in order to be loved. God didn't create. Some people say, why did God create humans? Oh, because he needed someone to love him. No, God already knew what love was. It's because God was so full of love, so complete, so much the the essential definition, the essence of love, that he couldn't help but just create out of the overflow of that perfect love. God wanted more people to enjoy this love. Not because he lacked something. God didn't lack anything. So Kevin DeYoung says, God did not create in order to be loved, but rather created out of the overflow of the perfect love that had always existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who live in perfect and mutual relationship and delight forever. And in Genesis 1, 26, God says, let us, after he creates everything else, comes to people, and he says, let us, not let, let me, right? Let us, is a, re- re- uh, a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, all the animals, the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of God, and God is about relationship. That is at the essence of who God is. So that's the beginning. That's where we start, right? And then we fast forward to the very end of the Bible. In Revelation 21, the second last chapter of the Bible, the very end, this is where history is going. So we started here. Listen to where we're going, right? John writes in this vision that he has of the coming kingdom. He says, I, know, I, see, uh, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now listen to this. This is where history is going. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is where we begin. This is where we end. 
But in the middle, everything kind of got messed up. Right? In the beginning, Adam and Eve lived with God in a perfect relationship with Him in the garden. They walked with God. And that relationship was broken through sin. And the Bible is the ongoing story of how God has pursued us relentlessly to make a way for us to be with Him once again. He sends us Jesus, and He tells us we're going to call Him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Why do you think we're given that name? God's trying to tell us from the beginning, this is what I created you for. This is where we're going. This is why I sent him so we can be with each other. In John 14, John is describing, he's saying, I'm going to be going to the Father. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me. So you can be where I am. Do you see God's heart? In John 14, 16, he's saying, after I'm gone, I'm going to ask the Father to give you another counselor, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. In Matthew 28, they're talking about the mission, right? Matthew 28, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. There's the obedience, right? There's the mission. And he says, And surely what? I am with you. I'm with you. And so that's the whole point. I want to do something with you until the end of the age. So Sky Jathani says this. He says, The life with God posture is predicated on the view that relationship is at the core of the cosmos, God the Father with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. And so we should not be surprised to discover that when God desired to restore His broken relationship with people, He sent His Son to dwell with us. Emmanuel. His plan to restore creation was not to send a list of rules and rituals That's life under God. He didn't send us uh, a bunch of useful principles. That's life over God. He didn't send us a genie to grant our desires. That's life from God. Nor did he give us just simply a task to accomplish. I'm giving you a job to do. That's life for God. Instead, God himself came to be with us. To walk with us once again as he had done from Eden in the beginning. Jesus entered into our dark existence to share our broken world and to illuminate a different way forward. So Jesus invites us into relationship, not to use God, right? And that's religion, but to experience life with God. The goal is not to use God. The goal is God. God is not a means to an end. God is the end. God is our treasure. He is not a means to get what we want. He is what we want. And so the gospel, again, you hear me say this all the time. Some of you, maybe up until now, have still not believed me. Like, I don't know this. It's not what I heard growing up. Please believe me that the goal, the gospel, is not about how we get to heaven. It's not. Because if that's true, then once again, we have reduced God to a means to an end. We use God to avoid hell. It's not about how we get to heaven. The gospel is about how we get to God. First Peter 
3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, for the righteous and the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The aim of our faith is not to get to a place, it's to get to a person, and that person is God. So do you, please, deeply reflect on this. I've been reflecting on this. Do you want to use God, or do you actually want God? And how you think about your relationship to God changes everything. Do you just want what God offers, or do you want God himself? Do you treasure God? In Genesis 15, God speaks to Abram as he calls him to leave and, uh, his country and go, and he says, he says to Abram, don't be afraid, Abram. Later becomes Abraham. He says, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Not your descendants, not all of these blessings. I, I am your reward. God says, I am your reward, Abram. And in Philippians 3.8, Paul is in prison and he says this, I consider everything a loss, everything I've ever done. All my religious pedigree, all my accomplishments, I considered all a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom sake I have, whose sake I've lost all things. He is my treasure. He is my treasure. He is my treasure. So how do we, how do we get there? How do we begin to live life with God? Here's what we need to do. Number one, we need to learn how to treasure, how to treasure God. When I was uh, 15, uh, I, was, uh, I, I sold ice cream and I worked in a bakery. I did whatever I could, little odd jobs here and there, try and uh, earn money. And over the summer, I saved and I saved and I saved. And, and uh, because I had in my mind, I loved music, and I wanted a keyboard, an electronic keyboard, so I could like, compose music and things like that. And it cost like $1,500. That's, that's a lot of money back then. I saved and I, and finally, I got to like $1,200. My parents were like, you know what? You worked really hard. We'll give you the rest. You know, they kind of topped me up. It was really nice. But for a while, I didn't have it yet. I only treasured it, right? It was just something in my mind. But it motivated me because I treasured this thing, right? So the first thing we have to do is we have to treasure this. We have to treasure God, right? We have to get a vision of who he is. We don't want God. But then if that's all we have, it's just treasuring God, at some point, you have to acquire the thing that you want, right? At some point, I had to take that keyboard home, right? Now, imagine, so I've, we have to acquire. We have to, we have to be united with God, right? We can't just treasure him. At some point, we have to be united with God. And this is what happened, Jennifer, last week when you were baptized and, I, and on Facebook, you were saying, it's so amazing. It feels so good to be one with God. You get it. That's what it's about, right? It's not, oh, it feels so good to know that I'm going to heaven. No. It's so good to be one with God. You have acquired. You have been united. Right? United with God. But then, imagine if I had bought that keyboard and I brought it home and I said, oh, I've acquired it. It's here. And I just stood there every day and I never actually played it. <laughs> right? At some point, I need to experience this thing that I treasure and enjoy. Right? I need to experience. And so this is often... Where a lot of us, maybe as Christians, maybe you, you have begun a relationship with God, but you've never actually enjoyed it. You've never actually experienced it. 
It's just something you know in your head, but you're not experiencing it in your life. We have to enjoy this thing that we have treasured so much. And so these three things, treasuring God, this is what we do every week in church. We expand our vision of God. And I pray that as time goes on, the longer you are here, and it might take you years, but eventually you are learning how to treasure God. It's a matter of seeing. It's a matter of attitude. We're told that we are, in Romans 12, that we are to be renewed by the transforming, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, we have to think differently. We have to see differently. Jesus said he came to, to make the blind see. We have to be able to see. And, and I read an amazing um, uh, uh, biography of Mother Teresa. And they said what made um, Mother Teresa special um, was not what she did for the world. What made her special was how she saw the world. Lots of people, you know, do nice things for people. They care for the poor. She just saw people differently. She saw, when she saw someone who was sick and dying, she saw somebody that God loved. She saw the image of Jesus. She saw the world. That was what compelled her. We need to see differently. And so that's what we, we learn to treasure God by learning to see differently. And that's why being here, gathering like this is so important. Because this is how we, we expand our imagination. Right? And then the second thing, how do you become united with God? Not just treasuring God, becoming united with God. This can happen anytime. This is one of the wonderful things about, about the gospel. Is you don't have to work for it. It's a gift. At any time, you can just say, Jesus, I treasure you. Can we be united? I understand. I am a sinner. I, now I know what you did for me on the cross. I, you rose from the dead. You're inviting me to new life with you. I get it. I understand. In you I'm made holy. I can actually approach God. No, I, I treasure you now. Can we start? And Jesus is like, yes. Well, that was easy. Because he did everything, right? You can be united with Jesus today, right now. And just this beauty of what happened last week in our baptisms. People becoming one and united with God. So that's the easy part, right? Because Jesus has done all that for us. But then we need to experience. We need to ex and this is a journey for all of us. We need to learn how to experience God. How do I live life with God? And this is a matter of, of what habits that we have, ways that we live our life, spiritual disciplines sometimes we call them. And here's what you need. If you want to experience life with God, here's what you need. Time. You need to invest time into that relationship. Coming to church twice a year or once a month is not going to do it. You need time. Any relationship requires time. You'll never know God that way, if you just come a couple times a year. Jesus didn't come to bring you to church. He didn't even come to bring you to heaven. He came to bring you to God. And so what we are going to do over the next several weeks, and really just as a church, this is what we care about. We want to equip you to do life with God through various means. How do you know that you're in God? How do you, how do, you do life with Him? And so I have summarized um, a lot of the main ideas contained in Sky Jathani's book just as a jumping-off point for our series, Okay. And so in the, in, the, in the weeks to come, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we experience life with God. But first, just understand, that is how you are supposed to relate to God. Okay, not under God, not over God, not from God, not for God, but with God. With God. Okay, and you, you say, I don't know what that means. Don't worry, that's what this series is about. Okay, 
Are we gonna, what we are going to do, those of us who are sharing, is we're going to share some of our personal struggles. Um, how that's been hard for us. How, sometimes I have kind of seen myself as under God. Sometimes I have been over God. Sometimes I, I do uh, think, you know, I just want things from God or I live life for Some, that's That's true of me. I'm sure it's true of you. Um, that we, God forgive us. We use religion to manipulate God for our own ends instead of enjoying God for who he is and Jesus being our treasure. So Jesus did not come to establish a new religion. Get that out of your minds forever. He did not come to establish a new religion. Religion is not the way to God. He came to tear that down so we'd stop using God and begin treasuring God. Religion is not the way to God. Relationship is the way to God through Jesus. And so here's the thing. You can now give up. I urge you to do this. You can give up your need to always be in control. You can give up this thing that we do to try to manipulate God to mitigate our fears. You can trust God. Stop trying to live under God or above God or to get things from God or to find your value only in what you do for God. Embrace life with God. That's what he created you for. You can let go. You can trust God. Stop striving. and Let God lead you and let him love you. So I want to end with, a time, with a, an opportunity for you to respond to that. And let's just uh, we'll close our eyes for a moment. <clears throat> and if you think that you've been missing the point, and you want to experience life with God, if you've been trying so hard to live under God or over God, if you've been so concerned with what you can get from God or wanting to live life for God to satisfy your need for significance and meaning, if you have failed to treasure God for who he is, if you are exhausted and empty, if you say, God, I just want you. I just want to know you. You are my treasure. You are my reward. Help me to experience life with you. I want to experience life with you. I just want you to just raise your hand. It doesn't even have to be high enough for me to see it. It's not about me. It's just indicate to God. That's where I want to go. I want to know life with you. I want to know you. Even if it's just a little finger, just raise, <laughs> raise your hand in some way. God sees it. I don't need to see it. The person beside you doesn't need to see it. It's between you and God. Can I tell you something? God is so thrilled that you're asking for this. And that's what God wants more than anything else. From the very, very beginning, the first day that human beings ever walked the earth, to the very last days 
of the universe where all history is headed, where the kingdom of God comes, that whole arc, everything, is about human beings enjoying and living life with God. He wants to live among us, with us. He will be our God. We will be his people. And this is what Jesus came to do. That's why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. God is so honored. God is so pleased. God is just thrilled with what you have asked him today. And can I tell you, he will answer that. He will, just watch. He will answer that prayer. Lord, as the worship team comes forward, we prepare to sing. Just, Lord, we want to do life with you. And, you, and we have um, all our lives tried to grasp for control because we're scared. It's a scary world. For being honest with ourselves, yeah, we have a lot of anxieties, we have a lot of fears. And forgive us, God, you know, we can understand why we use, um, you know, money or education or families, all of those things to give us some sense of control, some sense of security. But it pains us to think that, that we've been using religion that way, that we have been using you that way. It's not about control. Jesus, Lord, over and over, one of the most common commands in scriptures, don't be afraid. And then always, right after that, you tell us why we don't have to be afraid. And you say, because I'm with you. I will be with you. We don't have to try to control or manipulate or use you. We just have to receive your love and trust you. Live life with you. It's going to be okay. You're good. You are so good. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name.